Welcome to MedTech Talk, a weekly sit down with the innovators, investors, and executives leading the MedTech sector. Now, here's your host, Tom Salemi. Hi, welcome back to MedTech Talk. My name is Tom Salemi, and I'm your host. We rolled out this uh, podcast series a week ago with a great interview with Lisa Earnhardt, CEO of Intersect ENT. Today, we're going to switch over to the other side of the table and speak with a VC, Justin Klein, general partner of New Enterprise Associates, sits down with us today to talk about that firm's view on MedTech and his own uh, insights on where he sees opportunities. Justin, in addition to uh, being an accomplished VC, one who has recorded some impressive exits of late, including the $600 million acquisition of aesthetics company Althara, uh, is also co-chair of our MedTech Investing Conference. So I'm very happy to be speaking with Justin uh, about MedTech. We've been talking for uh, a few years now, but I'm even more happy to be working with him uh, on the MedTech Investing Conference agenda and uh, speaker lineup. Uh, Justin is serving as co-chair with Dennis War, CEO of Hilera. So Hope you enjoy this conversation with Justin. Uh, no doubt you will. And then you should go to medtechconference.com to see exactly what we've done, uh, what agenda we put together, who our speakers are. Uh, we've got a, a distinguished uh, keynote presentation. And uh, I really think it'll be a great day. So go to medtechconference.com for more information about registering. Okay. Well, Justin Klein, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's, uh, it's great to be with you. Are there, are there challenges to working? Obviously, there are challenges to working for a firm like NEA, with, with, but I'm thinking more specifically about the size in which you, you, you work. Your, your last fund was over a billion. I know you're in the process of raising another one, and I, I suspect you're not going to be able to say much of anything about that. But when I think NEA, I, I think of just the, the, the massive size of the organization. I almost wonder if you're like an agents of shield sort of situation when you have these big planes and cars and things like that. And you can tell me if that's not the case, but uh, what is it? Are there challenges to working for, for a big firm like NEA and, and, uh, and really sort of uh, making a difference in, in med tech and in healthcare? Well, you know, I, I guess Tom, apart from getting the uh, frequent opportunity to fly private on Southwest Airlines and, uh, <laughs> using using Uber Uber as my private driver. Um, you know, there's a lot of there is a lot of opportunity that comes with working at NEA. You know, being part of a, a large diversified platform. You know, I think is is not only you know something I appreciate in terms of thinking about you know investment risk and the things that we're willing to do in these different sectors collaboratively. Um, it's a great group of people, and I think you know learning about new technology investments that we might be able to apply in healthcare gives us a, a different perspective on, you know, how we invest in our own respective fields. But, but, you know, there, there can be some constraints, you know, I think uh, our last three funds have been about two and a half billion dollar funds. Um, and so we have to think really carefully about every investment we make and every commitment we make of our time, you know, being one that can generate a return that moves the needle on a fund of our size. And so, we do have to, you know, sometimes think outside the box a little bit about what kinds of opportunities we take on or how we, you know, maintain, you know, a strong partnership with our co-investors as syndicate partners and 
you know, an aligned set of goals with management teams and things like that. So all, all things that, you know, I think we've been able to navigate pretty successfully and, um, that, yeah, at the same time, you know, are, are things we have to be, you know, pretty sincere about up front and ways in which we approach investing or, or not investing, you know, in certain spaces. I would, I would think one of the challenges of being a med tech investor in, in any larger diversified <laughs> firm is sort of making the case for med tech, at least in the last couple of years, things are, uh, are rebounding again, as I think people anticipated they would. But if, if you were to give uh, a, a state of med tech to, uh, to a potential investor or to, to, at the partners meeting, what, what's the state of med tech from your perspective? Well, I think, you know, we do, we, we are in a way, you know, we're committed to the sector as a firm and my partners have been very you know, supportive of our practice. Um, but we are in a way competing for, for dollars. And, um, that's true across all the sectors. And, you know, one of the things NEA, you know, prides itself on is as distinctive as, is having one large fund through which we invest into all these different sectors and stages with the ability to dynamically allocate capital over the lifetime of the fund to make sure that we're putting dollars to work in the most attractive areas in any one cycle. I think that um, medtech broadly has been a really challenging sector, you know, for the last six or seven years. Um, a lot of it due to regulatory headwinds and timelines with FDA that caused a lot of companies to go off plan, uh, requiring a lot more time to hit major milestones and a lot more capital. I think that um, we've actually been pretty active in the market, even through that downturn. Um, you know, through our last several funds, we maintained a, a consistent investment pace. And, um, you know, we've tried to take advantage where, where we can of there being, you know, a real uh, constraint in the market for, for capital. So we've uh, we've tried to sidestep some of the most challenging areas with FDA. You know, op you know, opportunistically make investments in companies that are well positioned with respect to their technology and ways in which we can partner with them to fund big clinical trials or you know regulatory reviews or or product line expansions and commercialization. And I think fortunately we've we've actually had some pretty good results in the last you know year and a half or so, and, and we can point to companies at all different stages and um, sectors in the medical device space and, and sometimes, you know, reason by analogy with our partners and say, hey, look, you know, this situation we're interested in here is a lot like what we did, you know, in company X or company Y. And, um, you know, that's really helpful too. Uh, yeah, I alluded to the successes in the, in the opening and, and we'll hit upon those uh, right after this commercial break. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, visit medtechconference.com. While you're in Minneapolis, plan to attend our inaugural Pair Provider Venture Summit, a first-of-its-kind meeting targeting the hospitals and insurance companies leading healthcare reform. Go to ppvsummit.com. And we're back, uh, as you uh, as you mentioned, uh, or or nearly mentioned a, a second ago. You've you've had some uh, some recent successes, and I know you and I have had a chance to talk about a number of them. Um, let's let's start with the uh, with the acquisition of of, of Althera uh, by by MERS. Uh, tell us a little bit about the deal, in, in the company Althera. Why you invested, and uh, and how to, how the acquisition came about. 
Sure. Well, yeah, we're we're really proud of of, uh, of what Altera accomplished. I think that um, what I, what I like most about that was the opportunity we had to get involved with the company at a very early stage and uh, work with them to develop a strategy that would uh, differentiate the company in the aesthetics market uh, in a way that ideally, you know, brought more value to their physician customers. You know, convince both physicians and patients that the treatment effects and the benefits of the device were real, uh, not just great marketing. And, you know, potentially, uh, as we were able to do, attract um, some non-traditional buyers into the medical device space for aesthetics, which traditionally has not had a lot of of a, aggressive large companies like a Medtronic or, or a Boston Scientific, uh, you know, building businesses in those markets. You know, when we invested, it was, uh, essentially there were three employees of the company and they had some great clinical data for their first indication with brow lift, but the product was under review with FDA and we were being pretty, uh, conservative in launching the technology internationally. We did expect though that in December of 07, you know, FDA approval would be right around the corner. And, um, sure enough, right in that window that caught so many med tech companies for FDA got a lot more conservative around things like predicates for 510Ks. Um, Ulthera was routed into a de novo 510K review, which didn't have a specified timeline. And ultimately, we weren't approved until September of 2009. So almost two full years after you know our initial investment, when we thought we were going to be funding a, a U.S. commercial launch. Um, you know, we got it out that period, uh, which was in a way, a bit of a blessing because, of course, right in 2008, we saw, you know, the start of the Great Recession and a downturn in the consumer economy. Um, we might have avoided some tough early quarters in selling a, you know, consumer-oriented uh, medical device as a service and, you know, cash paying customers tightening their wallets a bit. Um, we kept the burn pretty low, but but even with that even with FDA approval in hand and then, you know, pretty good traction commercially, we were struggling to finance the company with an outside lead, talked to a lot, a lot of different groups. And ultimately, uh, NEA, you know, we led a, a series C round of investment uh, that did capitalize the company and ultimately provided them all the equity capital they needed to, to build the business from there. Um, you know, we invested heavily in clinical trials and, and expanding the number of indications that a physician could use the system and therefore our, you know, recurring revenue disposables for. And, you know, ultimately built a very compelling business that, that had great growth in the top line, you know, real scale. It was very profitable as a company, with great gross margins, and, uh, you know, frankly, a management team that was extremely committed to the vision. And, um Fortunately, you know, we were in a position where we could have taken the company public and I think done well last year, but um, also developed relationships with a number of strategics, including Mertz, who looked at Altera as a, as a potential cornerstone to building out their U.S. footprint in their aesthetics business and taking some of their products that include, you know, injectable uh, products like a Botox or, or fillers for dermatologists and plastic surgeons and pairing that with Ulthera's, you know, direct sales force and then leveraging a lot of their international commercial presence to further expand Ulthera's sales activity uh, around the world. It was a great fit.
and so um, deal came together well, and and I you know I understand the company's performed great uh, ahead of expectation, you know, for Mertz, and um, expect they'll continue to do so. And, and it sold for six hundred million. What really drove the the value? Was it the the clinical data you had for the the products, or was it the established business, or or a bit of both? I think it was. I think it was a bit of both. I mean, we really demonstrated consistent and and predictable performance as a business. You know, I, close to fifty percent of the uh, monthly and quarterly annual revenue came from disposables, uh, which were a recurring revenue stream, and therefore fairly you know, insulated versus some of the businesses that were focused solely on capital equipment sales and month-to-month unit placements. I think um, you know, the, the consistent profitability of the business was very compelling. It was going to be a dilutive tra- uh, acquisition for Mertz. And um, you know, broadly, we also built a real pipeline, not only of indications for the, for the platform technology that uses ultrasound, but we acquired another company, uh, Cabochon Aesthetics, uh, that has the first office-based solution for the treatment of cellulite, which is another huge multi-billion-dollar market without any good solutions. Uh, that is uh, is in the early phases of launch this year, and um, you know we expect can be as big a business, if not bigger, than Altera's original you know base business in in skin tightening and energy-based aesthetics. So it's a uh, It'll be, I think, a great franchise for them. And also in the M&A department, you, uh, a little later in the year last year, you uh, sold successfully sold Tapara to, uh, to Abbott, and that's an entirely different type of story. Um, talk a bit about uh, how you became involved in that company and, and how that unique, uh, unique deal came about. Sure. We, um, we've been spending a lot of time in, in AFib ablation. This is the market that Topira is really a part of, uh, with a diagnostic mapping technology that really, for the first time, helps clinicians understand and locate the sources that sustain arrhythmias, particularly complex arrhythmias that have been hard to resolve with, with earlier technologies and, and give new targets for ablation. Um, you know, we've understood the challenges and the relatively poor clinical success rates in AFib for a long time. Um, and yet, you know, despite, you know, the limitations of things like, you know, one-year success rates for a paroxysmal ablation of 40 to 50 percent, um, there's been tremendous growth in that market and a lot of strategic interest from players that are have built and are building big franchises there, including JJ and St. Jude, Medtronic, and Boston Scientific. Um, you, Topira's technology is extremely disruptive in that space. And uh, you know, really, could have been a, a very attractive asset for any number of the current players. I think we also understood that you know Abbott had a specific interest in in a white space opportunity for them in, in the catheter EP market. Um, we've had a good relationship with uh, my friend Evan Norton there, who runs their venture business, and you know, together, you know, talked a lot about different technologies in the space, and ultimately, we brought them to the table with NEA and led Topira's first institutional round of investment. And uh, Abbott was a great partner uh, as an investor in the company and, and um, you know, brought, brought resources uh, and also, I think, really invested time internally to develop a, a thesis on the market 
you know, that would center around Topira. Um, earlier in 2014, they, you know, extended a indication of interest, and we started a process of really understanding what a acquisition and partnership would look like together. Um, along the way, you know, we'd made some additional investments in the AFib space, and through a lot of additional discussion, ultimately, you know, reached a, a set of deals that Abbott, I think, was very strategic in, in aligning that will give them access to a series of technologies from our companies, Advanced Cardiac Therapeutics and Vitronics, um, you know, whereby they've got, uh, I think, a pipeline of things that can allow them to build a very differentiated business over the long term in that market, it, not only including diagnostics like Topira, but ablation catheters and, and you know, integrated ablation and, and mapping solutions from, from ACT and Vitronics, respectively. So it was a neat one. It's a complex deal, and it um, took a number of months to, to resolve all the different issues. We we were in a interesting position of, you know, I, I was the only board member across each of the three target companies, and, uh, you know, NEA was the largest shareholder in, in each of them. I think we uh, we needed to be very, you know, careful of, of respecting all of the shareholder interests in each company and trying to... Um, you know, guide each company to its own decision about what was the best outcome. Um, but fortunately, you know, and I, and I think in part due to some habits creativity, we were able to get there. And um, it's a very exciting, you know, thing to be a part of and to watch uh, unfold in the market. And lastly, you, you've uh, got great timing in that you've had some success in the public markets uh, with Nevro and, uh, and Trivascular before that. Uh, do you see this as a, as a good year for, for device IPOs, uh, for any other uh, uh, NEA portfolio companies going forward? Is this going to be a, a solid year when we see some more companies come up? You know, I think um, I, I shouldn't speculate about any of the companies that would think about this year or maybe the next 18 months. But, um, you know, Trivasco, Nevro are two great companies, really well positioned with very differentiated technologies and and first-class teams, so we, we've been very happy to get them public, and, and we're extremely enthusiastic about their, their future prospects. I'd say that, you know, we've got an active portfolio of about 25 companies, and, um, you know, there's certainly three or four that uh, are ramping commercially with, you know, very compelling technologies, um, and some of which maybe even a little bit earlier stage, you know, pre-launch, but, but that could be extremely disruptive in big markets that uh, the public investors have have had a lot of enthusiasm for in the past. And so it's definitely something that we're actively thinking about. Um, you know, we try to sort of think at least 18 to 24 months in advance if, if a company could be, could be right for the public markets and perform well publicly. Um, and so we've been, you know, getting prepared. I think as we talk to bankers about the markets broadly, you know, there's a, there's a healthy expectation of six to 18, you know, high quality medtech companies that, that go public in 2015. And so, um, you know, we'd love to see that kind of, of pace be sustained. If we can, I think it's really healthy for the sector and, um, you know, we'll, we'll be great. How do you go about looking for, for new investment opportunities? Is there a, a, a tried and true way that you have to, to find uh, great places to, to invest, great young companies to invest in? Uh, is there an effective way uh, that people can reach out to you to, 
to get your ear for a half hour or so and, and make a pitch to their company? Yeah, I mean, we, we love talking with entrepreneurs. You know, we try to be active at things like conferences and find opportunities to, to meet entrepreneurs with ideas. And, you know, we're active investing in our incubators and seed stage companies all the way through, you know, later stage opportunities. I think, um, you know, I, I, everybody has a different investment style, you know, in our, on our team. I, I think, I guess I'd describe mine as um, I'm pretty proactive in trying to figure out what I want to go spend time on. And whether it's a market or a clinical indication, um, or if I notice, you know, some assets in the marketplace that seem sort of under, underappreciated, maybe we could do something creative to, to put them, you know, in a, in a different position, you know, fund them in a way that, that allows, uh, you know, the rest of the market to appreciate the, the opportunity. I think we're trying to create, um, companies or investment opportunities for the firm that, uh, that are pretty interesting. So, and I, I think that's some of the most fun we can have, right? Yeah, I think um, we'll try to do a lot more of that in, in, in EA, you know, 15. I, I think there's, uh, there's still a scarcity of capital in the market. And, um, you know, financings are tough, not only for, for entrepreneurs that are raising capital now, but that certainly includes our own portfolio companies. And so, you know, we want to invest with, uh, with great syndicate partners and, and, you know, position our companies together for kind of long-term you know, value creation, really funding robust clinical development programs and making sure those companies are in a position where they've got real competitive advantages against the larger, you know, sort of incumbent potential acquirers. I think that, um, you know, we, we try to pick our spots carefully. And um, like I said, we, we may do six to eight medical device investments in this fund. That's, yeah, who knows, that's a soft target, but that'd be kind of consistent with what we've been doing. And um, I couldn't tell you whether those will be series ABC deals or, you know, pipes uh, can be any and all of the above. But, um, you know, we try to be opportunistic and find some special situations where we can add some value. Do, do you already have a theme in mind for the type of uh, companies you're looking to invest in in 2015, an idea of... Uh of what the qualities of that, that company should have, have very specifically? Have you identified some area where you think the values are, where the assets are undervalued? And you, you might not want to tell us what it is, but but do you already know what you're looking for going forward? Or are you open to, to coming upon those ideas uh, as they as they come to you? Yeah, I mean, I, we're, we're working on a couple things right now. Um, getting ready for the new fund that I'm, I'm particularly excited about. I mean, you never know where we'll ultimately land the plane, hopefully on the runway and on the water. But uh, I think um, there, there really still are a lot of really interesting technologies out there in the market. And I think what's interesting in the medical device space today is that um, there's a lot of change happening in the commercial channel across a whole lot of different clinical areas, um, whether it's parts of a hospital or a physician practice. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for startups to position themselves in ways that they can deliver um, a lot of value to their customers, you know, and whether it's finding a, a technology that's very complementary to an existing business and allows them to own more of the relationship, you know, with a physician's patient practice, you know, spanning the spectrum of early stage to late stage disease in a given category. I think that's really interesting. 
And similarly, I think there are some technology opportunities out there that medical device companies can leverage to deliver their products and services that can be improved as products unto themselves, but also um, commercialized you know, more efficiently, more profitably for the company, but also provide a much better experience to the, to the buyer. And so trying to find you know, some opportunities that fit themes like that, and um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully I'll have some, some cool things to tell you about you know, later in the year. Great. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're, you're joining us uh, at uh, the MedTech Investing Conference as, as co-chair. Um, I'm sure you'll bring some of these, uh, some of these thoughts and, and, uh, and understandings to, uh, to those discussions. Yeah, thanks. I, I'm really excited about it. I think we have a great lineup of, uh, of speakers and panelists coming. I'm, I'm excited to just go sit in the back and listen. Uh, there's going to be uh, a lot of good folks up on stage with some great experiences, and, and I think the dialogue will be really healthy. I think uh, the market is increasingly energized about the opportunities in med tech, and it'll be great to get a lot of entrepreneurs and VC investors and some strategics together to, uh, to really talk about the future. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining the podcast today, Justin. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure. A big thanks again to Justin Klein for joining us today and for serving as co-chair of the MedTech Investing Conference. For more information about that conference, which will be held on May 6th in Minneapolis, go to medtechconference.com. That's the easiest URL you'll ever have to remember. And uh, look at the agenda, the speaker lineup, and register, and then we'll see you in Minneapolis. Join the innovators, entrepreneurs, and investors who are changing healthcare at MedTech Investing Conference on May 6th in Minneapolis. The premier event in MedTech Investing will bring together the industry's investors, entrepreneurs, strategics, and regulatory professionals in one of the country's richest MedTech communities, Minneapolis. This must-attend conference will leave attendees with the insights and connections necessary to find their own sure path to success. To register for the MedTech Investing Conference, go to www.medtechconference.com.